welcome to the final episode in the Apostles' Creed Lenten podcast mini-series at First Lutheran Church. My name is Lindsay Gray, and I'm the chair of the Education and Discipleship Board. Today we'll discuss the part of the second article and the final article of the Creed. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'm joined today on this episode by Dr. Steve Paulson, Ginny Christofferson, and Lori Wilbur. Welcome, and thanks for joining me. So I guess one of the questions we have is, when we are speaking in the third article with the confession, I believe in the Holy Spirit, what or who is the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a good place to start. Uh, And uh, the way you put the question is also helpful. Is the Holy Spirit a what or who? Well, uh, we have good news. It's a who. (laughs) (laughs) And usually it's kind of hard because normally whenever we use the word spirit, we think of a a what, a thing. So we say, I've got school spirit or something like that. Well, it's a thing. It's not necessarily uh, an object. Uh, but it's still a thing and sometimes usually something you can feel, like an emotion or something. But here the Holy Spirit really is a person, and we know that because of the way that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, which happens first in baptism. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, the, the uh, name is a name of a person, not a thing. So the Holy Spirit's a who. And that also means when you have a who, you can talk to that who. You, uh, you can't talk to a rock or a feeling or something, but you can talk to a person and you can talk to the Holy Spirit. So you can say, uh, dear Holy Spirit, you can actually pray. And you can also uh, ask for things uh, from the Holy Spirit and expect that the Holy Spirit will do what only people do, which is um, speak. And, uh, and be able to hear something like that. So uh, isn't it nice that we've got a, uh, we have a who. Uh, it's not a, uh, it isn't a what, it's a who. Uh, way down in Whoville. <laughs> so yes, that's, so it's nice to have. So the, uh, the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit is person, personal, and person means communicating in one way or another. Uh, normally we understand that communication to be through words, and the communication is speaking and hearing, and that becomes the basis for what we understand uh, human beings to be operating with, even for people who very unfortunately lose a capacity like that, either lose the capacity to speak or lose the capacity to hear or both. Uh, we still understand that we're working uh, with them uh, to communicate in one fashion or another in such a way that you can share back and forth with people. And it's good to know the Holy Spirit is like that. Can I ask, is that why we need the communion of going to church? Is that why we need to, because we're going to speak and we're going to hear, we have to be in church? Or can we just do this on our own? No, that's lovely because the whole third article is talking about not only the Holy Spirit as a person, but communion. And communion means community. Community means not on your own. Furthermore, it does not mean Zoom. It doesn't even mean a podcast, though. We, of course, love all of these things. (laughs) 
and we do all of these things, and these are nice things on the side. But you're quite right. You can't really commune, communicate, until you are actually doing this person to person. And there are all kinds of things that come out of that that aren't easy for us to identify. But it's one of the reasons why, for example, kids learn better face-to-face than they do through, uh, through any other kind of media. Everybody knows that. They, they sense that. They get that kind of quickly. But they don't always know exactly how to put that. And it is why you actually come to church. You, are, you don't just watch uh, church. You actually come. And you are communicating there. And communicating is physical. It's also spiritual. And it's going in and out the ears and uh, in and out of the mouths. And every way that you can get to make speech come out and to actually hear it is what you're trying to do in a worship service, for example, which also is why you want to, at times, you want to turn up the volume, so to speak, on, uh, on speaking, which is what we call uh, uh, singing. And uh, singing then now is going to uh, take uh, speaking and just turn it up a couple notches so that you're, you're doing it kind of loud and also in a way that makes it uh, sort of exciting to hear. And uh, without those things, you aren't church, can't be church, and can't commune with the Holy Spirit. So last week I listened to the second article broad, a podcast, and Sarah Stenson was speaking, and she said something that was important about, she said a lot of important things, but one of the things was, that the second article is really the heart and the most important thing about the creed. But what would it be without the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I would, I, I would, uh, I, I sometimes rate these things too, but yeah. <laughs> maybe there's I don't, be. I don't think you want to quite do that. <laughs> well, it's important. So, uh, she is right uh, to identify when you've got the heart of a thing. But the heart of the thing is actually delivered by the Holy Spirit. So it's one, it is correct to say that uh, when we're talking about the second article, we're talking about the content of the communication. When we're gathered together and we're communicating, we have communion, and therefore we're a community. That's what a church is. When we actually have that, it's not just communicating anything. That's why when we get together on Sunday, we say things to each other like, uh, how do you like the weather today? So we say that. But that's not actually part of the liturgy. So you don't have a hymn that says, how was the weather today? Uh, Or anything like that. Now you actually are identifying the key things that are being said. And the key things that are being said are about Christ and therefore the second article. But the Holy Spirit uh, is the one who communicates these so that we can actually hear them. And for that reason, we give Jesus the words, the lip, and we give the Holy Spirit the ear. He's the one that uh, hears. And then you say, well, which is more important, the lip that speaks or the ear that hears? And now you're in that territory that you're talking about. Then you can't quite uh, say, well, I I would choose this one over that, or this one's higher, or that one's lower, something like that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, here we really want to say, it's also why Luther says that when you're teaching this to your kids, when you're teaching uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what the promise is in baptism, what the 
uh, name of God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you're teaching that, you actually are going to start with the third article. And you'll always start there. And you'll be, uh, you'll be identifying, teaching them what the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is doing. And uh, that is giving them ears to hear. That's why uh, when you're dealing, when you're, when, especially when you're raising uh, young children and, and a lot of uh, grandparents now are the ones who are telling the stories to the kids, so many of the stories about, are about rabbits. And why do you suppose that is? Well, they've got great ears. <laughs> uh, and uh, the reason why you want to tell the story about the velveteen rabbit, for example, is the, is the ears that they've got. And now you're actually going to go in and you're going to start talking about uh, what it means to actually hear these things and how great it is for the kids to hear the voice of their uh, grandmother, for example. And they love nothing better uh, than to hear that voice come in and instantly the ears perk up uh, and um, so, when you um, so when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're always talking about the way the Holy Spirit gives us ears to hear before we actually start telling them the details of what it is that we're actually saying that really matters to them, really hits home, really tells them who they are and the fact that they can be safe. So we, ta- we teach uh, the Velveteen Rabbit so that people qu- will actually understand how to talk about the third article. And remember that little rabbit says uh, initially, um, I don't want to do this. Or I don't want to. Um, I can't quite remember uh, what he doesn't want to do. Anyway, he doesn't want to do something that the uh, rest of the people. And he's trying to run off and do his own uh, thing, and then he gets into all sorts of trouble. Uh, And then in the end, uh, now he comes back, and he's able to actually hear. And there, when he's hearing, he's uh, safe, comfortable, and at home. And this is where we uh, teach what the Holy Spirit is doing giving us a home, a place, a belonging, a comfort, an assurance, where otherwise when you go out of this uh, assurance, you start uh, worrying in the world about what's going to happen to me, who's going to take care of me, and so on. And um, that's the third article, and I really like this. Well, that's why we start there and uh, why we start with rabbits when well, we're, when can, we're teaching we, our children. Can we back up, mm. though? Is, is this a prayer? Are we praying when we say the creed every Sunday? Yes and no. <laughs> yeah, the question understand. is good. So uh, it is a prayer uh, because we know um, uh, because of the last word. So the last word is Amen. Uh, and we know that amen, whenever we say amen, we, we know we've said a prayer. So there's a prayer there. Amen means yes, it shall be so. And we know that, uh, we know that a prayer has been said. But now we want to uh, say something more. The first words are, are I believe. And the I believe is not a prayer form. The I believe is the form of a confession. That's the fancy word. That is, I am now going to say out of my mouth what belongs in my heart. So here's my heart. It's going to come out in the form of words, and I'm going to say what is most important to me. So important that I would be willing to give up everything for this. 
I would be willing to die for this. When I say I believe, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying this is where, this is the money thing. This is the heart of the matter. And when I'm doing that, I'm, I'm uh, making a confession, and the confession is not um, I'm telling people what wrong things I've done. That's usually the word, way that word confess is used. It actually means I'm telling the world what is most important to me, and without it, I would not be me, and I would not live. And I'm now going to say that. And when I say it, it's really important, and I want people to listen, and I also want them to, I hope, join with me and say the same thing with me so that we're, we, we, we now are coming to agreement. And when I'm doing that, I'm actually now saying a sermon. So now this is an interesting thing. It's a combination of a sermon and a prayer. And remember, a prayer is us asking God for something, and a sermon is God telling us what he's going to do for us. And when both of these are going on, we are now speaking to God, and we're also listening to what he's saying, so that when I say I believe in the Holy Spirit, uh, and I believe all these things, I believe in the resurrection of the body, I believe in the life everlasting, I've just told you the things that are most important in my heart, and now I've also given you a sermon so that I know that when I'm saying it with other people, I'm now saying, if you kind of doubt any of these things, I'm going to shore you up and, and, and help you understand that this is really the case. So one day you might come in and say, boy, I don't know, last week I felt really strongly about the resurrection of the body. I was very certain about that. <laughs> and this particular week, I'm not so sure. My rheumatism has kicked in and so on. And uh, then you actually now hear the person next to you say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. You say, well, I guess, yeah, I guess I can too. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's what I can get out of that. And, um, and we actually now are preaching to one another so that the person can say, yes, that, I believe that because that's actually a promise made to me, isn't it? Yes, you say. Yes, it is. <laughs> so uh, yeah. that resurrection of the body, I've got a question about that. Yeah. What about the cremated body? Well, uh, cremated bodies are just a way of trying to give God a hard time. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm now going to make this as hard on you, dear Lord, as possible. Because when you resurrect my body, you have to find every little ash out there. <laughs> you have to gather them up and uh, now put them all together. And dear Lord, I'd like you to work a little bit on my mm -hmm. particular project. Now, some of you who are not quite so, you know, don't like to challenge God and so on, then you can lay down in your casket, and then it's easy. Then God just <laughs> knocks on the door. He pulls you out with his hand. The trumpet sounds, and then he says, there you are, the resurrection of the body. Meanwhile, uh, when uh, your family member has been uh, uh, turned into ashes and you're pouring it all over the place, then our Lord has to run all over and get every one of those things down. It takes a little longer, perhaps. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure about that one. But uh, in any case, then uh, finally we get the resurrection of the body. And he says, man, you were hard to deal with from the very beginning. Uh, and wouldn't you know that you'd, uh, you'd give me this job at the end? But it's perfectly, it's perfectly uh, the Lord can handle it. 
the Lord can make that work. Um, and uh, he's he's up for the uh, for the task. Well, I just know. wondered, my my ninety three year old aunt yeah. does mm-hmm. not want to be cremated. Well, we're we're in a we're in a situation now. Uh, my you know, uh, all, everybody I talk to wants to be cremated and not put in the ground. Now, if we went back fifty years ago, and certainly if we went back a hundred years ago. Um, the the uh, notion of uh, cremating would be horrifying uh, to most people um, because they lose the sense of what you yourself are talking about. That is the glory of the body itself. But the other ways that that we used to preserve the body, so that even at the funeral we could say yes. There's a body, and we actually believe that this body is, is going to be resurrected. Um, way, way back in the Civil War, when they had enormous numbers of dead, they started to use these chemicals that would then drain the blood from your body, and then they would put chemicals into your body to preserve you over a period of time. And... Um, you would go to a funeral and you would see the body, but the body didn't look quite right. It, it, it didn't seem quite like the person. And you, you say, I, I sort of get the feeling that the body's there and I sort of don't. So that particular solution regarding preparation of the body has not comforted people the way that it was supposed to comfort them. Now, you remember uh, all the way back uh, now to Jesus' day, and if you were an Orthodox Jew or uh, if you are a, uh, what is the equivalent to an Orthodox Muslim, you would always bury the person within three days of death without uh, formaldehyde and without other means, and you would definitely not uh, burn them into ashes. And uh, now I'm going to speak personally. That would be really nice. Uh, if you could do that, but it's very hard uh, to do that in our circumstance. In Jesus' day, the only people that um, turned the body into ashes were Roman pagans who did not believe in the resurrection of the body. And for 2,000 years, nobody wanted that. Uh, But now we are in a changed situation and uh, I know there are a lot of people, I, I know the people that are listening to this are in families and everybody wants to be cremated. Well, you go ahead and be cremated. But I'm just giving you a little bit of an idea of what has transpired mm-hmm. regarding that and why that's an issue. Uh, and um, we, uh, as uh, evangelicals, understand that the form of the body in the funeral or in the tomb is not determinative of their resurrection of the body. But it's probably worth noting that what happened uh, in, for the pagan Romans, they're the ones who created the columbariums, which, would be, which were to burn into a little urn, and then they would make a little niche, uh, and everybody got their little niche. And so you put their urn in the little mm-hmm. niche, and we're actually going back to right. that. Uh, I remember as a... As a as a college kid going to Israel for the first time and seeing these Roman columbarium, uh, columbaria that you know had all of these little urns and all of these, 
And uh, we actually did uh, study and talk about what difference does it make if Christians today adopt that practice when before it was very clear to them that that's, that was saying, I don't believe in the resurrection of the body. So now what we have to do is come back and say, of course, we are free in this regard. We're free Christians, and it is not going to be, this is why I make light of it, it might take God a little longer, but it's fine. But we also want to come back uh, to note that in, the, in our current circumstance, in our modern world, as we say, it's very hard for people to believe in the resurrection of the body. They can believe in everything else. Some, some of them believe that they're going to come back at, in the form of an antelope or something like that. They have all kinds of things. And many times they'll go through, they believe everything from soup to nuts, but they don't believe in the resurrection of the body. Or they believe that there'll be a disembodied uh, orb or something like that. Uh, and, but here we stand up and we say, no, we believe that our bodies were created, first article, he created us, body and soul, everything that we have. And he actually, God actually likes bodies. He, he made them. He thinks that they're great. Um, then he also says, when I raised you, I'm going to raise you as a body. This is 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul says, on the final day, you'll be raised as a body. It'll be a spiritual body. That doesn't mean a spirit without a body. It means a new body, which is going to be um, delightful for you. Since right now, your body is kind of delightful, but sort of not delightful to you. So you say, well, it's a lot of work. You know, I have to get up in the morning. Beauty, uh, my beauty is clear, but it takes some time and so on. Uh, and uh, so you can speak this kind of way. But, but in, in heaven, um, you, you won't have to comb your hair. Uh, you're going to see uh, like the eagle sees. Uh, this is going to be uh, quite wonderful, and uh, you're going to sp spend long days hiking without getting overly tired, and you know everything that you. And you're not going to, you're not going to go to bed at night and say, oh, you know, I just my my uh, my foot aches, uh, my I just I'm getting a headache again, and so on. And uh, you won't have all of these difficulties with the uh, with the body that we've got now. But isn't it great? The Holy Spirit teaches us. Um, we believe in the resurrection of the body, even though the rest of the world out there is saying, wow, I mean, how can you believe that? And I'm not sure I can trust that and so on. Um, Dr. Paulson, one way I learned from you that I really appreciate is you begin teaching what it isn't before you teach what it is. <laughs> That's right. So how would you do that with the Holy Spirit? Yes, well, you've heard me say this, and I am not the creator and originator of saying what a thing is not before I say what it is. That, uh, that is Aristotle. So now we're borrowing from Aristotle. Aristotle says every time you uh, teach kids, the first thing you want to do is tell them what a thing isn't before you will tell them what it is. So what is the Holy Spirit not? Well, we've already started. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is not uh, a spirit in the sense of being a thought or an idea, uh, a concept uh, that you have to um, get into or agree with or something like that. The Holy Spirit is all about the communication of words. Then we've also said this, the Holy Spirit is, um, the Holy Spirit is 
most especially not an internal feeling or power that you've got. And almost always that's what we want the Holy Spirit to be. So we'll say something like, um, I, I mentioned it before, if you have a really great high school team and they're really cheering the team on in basketball or whatever the sport might be, uh, we say that they have team spirit. And team spirit means that they, that, that they really feel it. They're, working, they're, they're in there. They've got every bit and ounce of effort uh, going into something. And then we say, wow, that person really has got spirit. By the way, we also say this about preachers. So we say, uh, wow, that, I really like that preacher. That preacher's got spirit. And when we mean that, we mean they're really enthusiastic and they really are sincere and they, they re- but that doesn't tell you anything about what the Holy Spirit is and whether the preacher is actually preaching the Spirit. Most especially, the Spirit is not inside you, it's outside you, the Holy, well, until he actually arrives in his promise, then he is fully and completely in you. But you aren't... Um, you aren't born this way. You actually uh, need to hear the Spirit from the outside. You don't have an inner light or inner power, and you don't have a, a Spirit feeling inside you which you try to increase uh, day by day. And then as you're getting older, like me, then you can't get your mojo up and running quite as much as you used to. You can't get your energy, as we say. So you say, boy, I wish I had more energy, or I take an energy drink or something. That is not what we mean by the Spirit. The Spirit is not energy. And so then we, we especially learn that the Spirit comes to us from the outside through the word of preaching, especially in the promise uh, of Jesus Christ, to which he gives ears so that we actually hear them, and now we've learned the key thing. The Holy Spirit is not an inner power in me. It is the outer power of the word to accomplish what it says. And there's our little That's what Aristotle, what not to say about the Holy Spirit before we say what we want to say about him. So, so are we all saints? If, we're, if we believe in the communion of saints, does that mean we're saints? Yes, and now we have to say, because you and I are now podcasting, <laughs> Uh, and when you and I are podcasting, then we have to be worried about what we means. But Lord, you and I are sitting here, and when you uh, and uh, and when we're gathered around the table, and we mean we who are gathered here. I see you. You actually have bodies. These bodies are going to be resurrected. And uh, yes, uh, we are. Uh, well, is the word saint a verb or is it an adjective? <laughs> That's lovely too, isn't it? <laughs> So we are saints. We can say that as a, um, even a noun. We can say we're saintly, so we can say it's adjectival. We can say that it's a noun. But, you know, it is lovely uh, when you say, but, of course, saint does not mean um, that I was born with certain powers or something like that that then make me a saint. So then saint becomes Verb, right? Yeah. Or, uh, do I do good? No. Yes, uh, but well, the saint does do good, but the saint does uh, does good because the Holy Spirit makes fruit from them, and in that way, they are very effective. They are very um, 
they are very saintly, but of course the saints, the true saints, not the self-called saint. The true saint made a saint by the Holy Spirit never knows she's a saint. So that you'll notice, if you ever come to an actual saint and say to them, you know, my dear, you're a saint, the first thing they'll say is, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the classic identification of a true saint. Uh, So you can try that at home. You know, you can say, I think you're a saint. Just see uh, see what happens. And um, then we say that sainthood is actually the Holy Spirit working through us to produce fruit, especially when we're not aware of it. And in that way, uh, now, uh, the true saint uh, never knows uh, what, the, what the, uh, the, uh, the, the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing and so on. Yeah. <laughs> what does the Holy Spirit do with us at church as a community? Yes, now the Holy Spirit uh, likes you to join uh, together, and uh, he thinks that Sunday is fine. It would have been fine if you had stuck with Saturday night too, but, you know, Sunday is uh, is a good idea, especially when suddenly the Holy Spirit takes Jesus Christ himself out of the grave on Sunday morning. Now, what is the Holy Spirit like about that? The Holy Spirit likes it not only because it's gathering people together, and the Holy Spirit does like people not to be isolated and alone. The Holy Spirit does not want you to be alone. He doesn't want you to be a monikos. That's a monk. He wants you to be together. Uh, And the the togetherness now has another matter, uh, which is really what uh, you're getting at. The Holy Spirit wants you together not just because he likes a group more than an individual, but he wants to say something specific there. He wants to say something to you, or better yet, give you ears to hear what's being said. And that thing that's being said, that is not being said anywhere else in the world, uh, is the word of release from the bondage that you've had during the week. Release of the weight that you've carried and the freedom that is given by Christ, which is the forgiveness of sin. The sin which cannot trust, or for that matter, cannot believe that this body is going to be resurrected and eternal, is now actually given this trust and faith. And we figure that you need to hear the Holy Spirit at least once a week. Then we think, you know, special times, let's say Lent, we think you need it about twice a week. And uh, then uh, we, we uh, start saying, you know what, uh, what would really be helpful and what is most important is when I can have a Christian family in whom the father and mother, or now we know it's not usually father and mother, no, now it's normally grandmother, when the grandmother gathers the kids and actually now gives them this freedom or word, and she gives it to them every day. She sees to it that they actually have this day in and day out. Uh, And then at the end of all of this, this is where uh, we all say in the creed, Luther says in the small catechism, that's when we say amen. And the amen says, 
these things that have been promised to us, that Christ takes our sin, we do not have it, that Christ frees us, and we don't have to free ourselves, these things are true and certain, even when nothing else is certain. Then we say amen, and uh, then we go to sleep. Thanks again for joining us today for this final installment of the Apostles' Creed Lenten podcast mini-series. We hope you enjoyed your time with us. May the peace of Christ be with you always.